Welcome to the House Top Podcast, the teaching arm of Oikos Ministries. Jesus said, Whatever I tell you in the dark, speak in the light, and what you hear in the ear, preach on the housetops. Join our host, Terrell Abair, as he teaches God's Word. Well, welcome to Facebook Live, everybody. I'm Terrell Abair. I'm your host. We're Oikos Ministries, and we're teach every Wednesday night. Uh, we've been going through a series called uh, the, the, the Seven Pillars of Wisdom. Sorry about I'm a little bit late tonight, but uh, here we are now. We're back online. So uh, just want to dive right in. We, uh, we've been talking about these seven pillars of wisdom that comes out of Proverbs chapter 9. First verse says, Wisdom has builded her house. She has hewn her seven pillars. And uh, we, would, we would look at that as our first uh, message in this series was that uh, we defined wisdom and we discovered that wisdom, uh, according to Scripture, the wisdom would be best defined by the cross of Jesus Christ itself. And so uh, if you've missed any of these, you can go back and catch them on www.housechurchesusa.com. Everything's available at our website. You can hear these podcasts. And so from there, after we define wisdom, we begin to lay out the seven pillars of wisdom. The first pillar was uh, the wisdom of God, or, or well, part one was the wisdom of God. The first pillar was if you love your life, you will lose your life. All right, that was the first one. The second pillar is uh, if you don't hate your life in this world, hate your life in this world. And, and what we've done, we've, we've, we've really enlarged on all of the paradoxical sayings of Jesus, which there are seven of them. And uh, as we do that, it's, I, I've, I've discovered through this series, these are really hard hitting messages. And so uh, the, the third pillar in the house is a, a distinction between the chiefest of all will be the servant of all. Servants of all. The fourth pillar the greatest among you will be childlike. And we dealt with that one last week. And this week, the fifth pillar is that the first will be last and the last will be first. Our text tonight will be in Mark chapter 10. And I'm just going to read that one verse, if you would, in verse 31. It says um, uh, that. Whoops, I'm on the I'm oh, excuse me, folks, I'm in Matthew, not in Mark. My, my bad. I marked the wrong passage. We're back here. Just one second. Here we go. So in Mark chapter 10, and now I can't get my Bible apart. I sure apologize for this. This is really... Wow. 31. Here we go. But many who are first will be last, and the last will be first. Now, when you consider the idea of the last will be first and the first will be last, this is one of those paradoxes. Uh, you know, there's a saying, I, I read a t-shirt some years ago in America, and <laughs> it's really a terrible thing. It says, second place is the first loser. I mean, wow, who even thinks like that? Second place is the first loser that you might have achieved, you know, this excellent record among your peers, and but you came out, you didn't win the whole thing, so you're the first loser, the top loser. This is a terrible way of looking at things, but 
it, when we put this in the context of what we're going to talk about tonight, it says that the first will be last. And this is what I found in America. Everybody's striving to be number one. We want to be first. We want to be the number one position. And so when you read these uh, these de definitions, it says many. Uh, did you notice that in verse 31? It says, but many who are first will be last and the last will be first. And I think that's how I messed up my chapters is when we were looking at this. If you turn with me to Matthew chapter seven, just for a second. In Matthew chapter seven, uh, one, I, I think one of the most frightening passages of the New Testament is found there. In Matthew 7, verse 21 through 23. And he says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many, same word, many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name and in your name cast out demons and in your name done many wonderful works? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. This is a very terrifying verse because he says many are going to say, Lord, we know the Lord. And he's going to say, depart from me. I never knew you. And so this idea of, you know, Jesus is famous. So everybody knows about Jesus. The big deal, though, is does he know you? And so if we go back to our text found in Mark chapter 10, and we're just going to look at that one paradoxical statement just for a few minutes, and then we'll put it all in context. And I believe It'll get your attention. He says many. Now, if there's so many and in, in other places, he says, are there few that be that find it? You know, straight is the gate, narrow is the way. There's few that be that find it. What makes so many people think they're among the few that are going to find their way in, especially when we live lives that are seeking to be first and number one? We live our lives willy nilly, wide open to achieve our own personal preferences and prosperities. And so when we do so, we're really undermining or really going against the grains of the teachings of Jesus. Keep reading what he says. He said, but many who are first will be last and la the last first. And so when we see that word many and we couple it with other passages, it's frightening to be how many people who claim to know the Lord are going to be in the number who actually don't know the Lord mm -hmm. and are going to find themselves in hell. And so he says the first, the first means first in rank, first in influence, first in honor, first in succession of anything or person. So when we start seeing those who would be the first, first in rank, in honor, and, and, and folks just crave the positions of number one. They want to be first. I want to be first in line. I want to be first place in my whatever. Fill in the blank, whatever you want to be. And so uh, I want to be first in my employment. I want to be, I mean, think this through, folks. And uh, he said, many who are first are going to be or find themselves last and the last will be the first. And if you look at the definitions for last, just reverse everything we just said about first, because it literally means the same thing. Last in honor, last in, in procession of persons or things. And so when you see that, it's, it's really a, a, a challenging verse, to say the least, it, just standing on its own. It gets way more hard hitting when it's put in its proper context, because this is a summarization of a full context.
All right. And so we're going to take that context tonight. And in Mark chapter 10, we'll start in verse 17. Now, as he was going out on the road, one came running and knelt before him and asked him, good teacher, what shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? Now, I want to tell you right now, just that verse alone, most preachers today would think they're in full blown revival when a young man would come running to Jesus, running wide open, fall on his knees before Jesus and say, what must I do? We would think that act alone would make him born again. We would think that act alone would make him a godly Christian man. And, he, and, and, and look, Jesus was not impressed that the young man came running up, knelt down before him and said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Look at there. What must I do to inherit eternal life? Now, I know a lot of people say, well, you can't do anything to inherit. Well, oh, that ain't what Jesus taught, but. Well, I'm not going into that. Let's just say this. He said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? I want to be an heir to eternal life. What, what do I need to do to get my name in the will and, and, and on the role that I can inherit eternal life? And Jesus says, uh, look, at, look at his answer to him. Uh, so Jesus said, why do you call me good? And I believe this hits and strikes hard at the very root of everything we need to discuss tonight. There's a humanitarian goodness that people crave. And we think if you achieve that humanitarian status, that you're a nice human being. You're just a nice person. You're a good neighbor. You're, you're a responsible citizen. You're a, you're a hard worker. You, 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 you pay your bills. You're very, uh, you, you know, you're just a good guy. Jesus would not accept that accolade. Why are you calling me good? There's only one good. It's God. Now, I, I believe... The fact is that there are many places in Scripture that allow, I mean, one of the fruit of the Spirit is goodness. And so there's a place of that God is good and we take on some of God's traits in the fruit of the Spirit. And, and certainly there's a, a goodness that can be found in the grace of God. But Jesus wouldn't let this stand for one second. It almost seems uh, like a, a, an insult. He said, why are you calling me good? This guy had all of his eggs in one basket. I'm telling you, this man absolutely believed that his humanitarian goodness had him automatically on the rolls. And I believe that many believe such a thing right now. And they're sitting in every church in America and they truly believe that their goodness is good enough. Keep reading. Why do you call me good? No one is good but one, and that is God. You know the commandments. Here's Jesus' full response. You know the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not defraud. Honor your father and mother. You know, if you look and examine these things, Jesus told him to obey the last six commandments. I mean, basically he's saying, he really is flowing with what the young man just said. Hey, I'm a good human being. I have good. You see, the first six, I mean, the last six commandments govern. They're the commandments governing our relationships to one another. That's what the first six, I mean, the last six commandments do. And if you look carefully, he said, look, the, the young man was so happy. He answered and said to him, teacher, all these things I've kept from my youth. I don't steal I ain't killed nobody. Oh, I'm a, I'm a good guy. I honor my parents. I love my family. Man, we just, you know, <clears throat> Lord, I'm practically in. 
I'm a good guy. I'm a good old boy. Jesus looked at him and he loved him. Look at there. He loved him. Let me let's just try to understand the love of Jesus for once now. Instead of all the pseudo love being passed around in the sloppiest of ways, applying love to everything that you can think of, that even abominations before the Lord are called love today. If we look at the love of Jesus, loved him and he loved him so much that he would tell him the truth. Hey, look what he says. And looking at him, he loved him and he said to him, one thing you lack. Go your way, sell whatever you have and give it to the poor. You'll have treasure in heaven and come take up the cross and follow me. (laughs) Oh, wait. Oh, wait. Would Jesus, would the love of Jesus require such a thing? I don't know what your Bible says. My Bible says he loved him. So he told him what it would require to inherit eternal life. Wait, he just ruined the revival. This man wants to come to Jesus and Jesus put some some real hardship rules on him. Would the love of God ever do such a thing? I'll tell you right now, many of you believe that he wouldn't. There's so many today believe God would never tell somebody to sell out. God would never tell you such a thing. Jesus loved this young man and he told him the truth. Go sell what you have. Give it to the poor. You're going to have treasure in heaven then. Take up your cross and come follow me. And, and, and look, if you take all that directions and he said, oh, you lack one thing. That was the one thing. <laughs> sell everything you got. Give it to the poor. You'll have treasure in heaven. Take up your cross and follow me. That's the one thing. Because let me just say, you cannot serve God in money. You're not going to do it. It ain't going to happen. You're going to have one master that you love and one you despise. Keep reading. But he was sad at this word and went away sorrowful for he had great possessions. Now he's sad. He went from kneeling and worshiping Jesus to man, I don't. Uh, uh-uh, no way. I would never serve It ain't worth eternal life to give up my present life. Folks, I want to I've been pointing this out in some of these other teachings of these paradoxes of Jesus. The number one argument in the New Testament, just read your Bible, read the epistles carefully. The number one argument was that the Jewish religion, the Jews were trying to put pressure on the Christians to mix Judaism with Christianity, to blend the law and grace together, to put them together. Folks, let me tell you something. I believe the church ultimately on the wide scale lost this fight in 317 AD and really succumbed to it and just said, let's blend them together. Let's have church and law. Let's have law and grace come together and we'll put them all in one big happy unity pot and we'll call it the Catholic system. We can name it anything you want to, but literally we lost our first love at that point and we, we murkied the stream. And instead of having a pure stream of grace any longer, we now have a law and grace that are working together. You see, under the law, God had a people and a place. He had a people 
called Israel, and surely the nation of Israel. And he literally, by his mighty arm and outstretched arm, gave the children of Israel a promised land. And the great promise of the old covenant was that you would have your, you would inherit the land and you would, your own parcels of land would be inherited and you would keep that inheritance and further it by having children who carried your name in the earth. That was the blessing of the old covenant. So you wanted to have a bunch of sons who kept your name and it created an earthly longevity and your name would live forever in the earth. That was the epitome of old covenant. And, and while you're here, the blessing of obedience, if you obey God, you will prosper. Folks, that is the old covenant. Now, what we've done today is blend that and we've muddied the water so much that we can't even tell the difference. We have no distinction between them. Now we've muddied the water to a place where we have taken the prosperity message of the old covenant, put it into the new covenant and almost undermine every teaching of Jesus Christ to say your best life is right now. I mean, you can if you know if you know what God's saying, then then you're going to prosper right here, right now. Now, I want to say this. There is a prosperity among Christianity. Let me just let me from my own personal testimony. And I'm not trying to talk about prosperity, but just when I quit drugging and drinking, do you know how much money I've saved in 42 years? <laughs> so. Um, woohoo! That's prosperity, folks. You know, I'm 65 ain't on one medication. Come on, that's prosperity. Uh, now, I'm not going out trying to look to be rich. I'm just telling you the blessings of obedience are still there. But, you know, they might cut my legs off tomorrow. But praise him. Okay? It's been a good run. Hallelujah. Look, keep going. Watch this. He was sad at that word and went away sorrowful. You know, the parable of the sower, uh, sower tells us this, that there are some people who, boy, they want that eternal life until the sun gets hot. <laughs> oh, no, it's too, no, no. Temptation or testing trials. Oh, no, 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 no. I don't want to do this. No, 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 no. Take up the cross and follow me. The first time somebody said, hey, what's that you carrying? Well, it's the cross of Jesus. What does that mean? Well, it means I've quit the old life. Oh, really? And they put pressure on you. Oh, well, well, well I, then all of your humanity, your, your humanitarian goodness, your philanthropy, all of your, oh, oh I'm, I'm, I'm such a good man. And you will, I have to be nice. The epitome of Christianity is I must be nice to you. By the way, nice is not in the King James Version of the Bible. Not one time. Go look it up. He was sad at this word and went away sorrowful for he had great possessions. Now, I know a lot of people right now listening to my voice are going to say, well, that I'm not rich. Huh. Let me say this. If you live in America and you're on welfare in America and you live in a house with an air conditioner, you're richer than Solomon. Solomon had to have somebody fan him. Solomon couldn't adjust the temperature like this. Solomon couldn't take an ibuprofen and cure a headache. Hey, I'm telling you right now, I've been around the world a little bit and I've been in places where people live on three or four dollars a day and the 
prices are just as much or more than ours. Hey, Americans, listen to me very carefully. You are among the 20% upper echelon richest people on this planet. The poorest American, don't you dismiss yourself. The poorest American is in that bracket as well. Let it sober your mind. Jesus told this young man, go sell what you have and give it to the poor. We couldn't care less about the poor anymore. We've let, we've let that go all to some governmental issue. Oh, we pay taxes and the government takes care of the poor. As a matter of fact, I've, I've almost given up on helping poor folks in America because there's such an entitlement nature here. I give my money to the poorest of the poor on the planet. When I find somebody poor, I give it to them. I don't have a 401k. I don't have a retirement plan. I don't have none of that. But I got treasure in heaven. Amen. Let me tell you what my Bible says. He that lends to the poor gives to God. And God said, I will repay them. Hmm? I'm so confident my my heaven 401k. I ain't got no money on earth, but I can tell you one thing. My heavenly 401k. I'm telling you, that thing is fat. Praise him. Because I found what treasure is about. The young man went away sad. He had great possessions. I wonder you see, Jesus told him, keep the last six commandments. And he was about to really unveil the real. Ta-da! Here's the problem, young man. Your God is your possession. See, the first four commandments govern our relationship to the Godhead. You shall have no God before me. Oh, I think his money was before. Him. You'll have no great graven image. Oh, his image was his own goodness, his human goodness. That was the image of God. Basically, this young man thought he was God. As many do. Many, many do. Remember the Lord's name. Do not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. You see, that doesn't mean just using it to swear by. It's the loose usage of, the, of, of God's name and, and fling it around like it's not a holy thing. But the big kicker is, and, uh, and remember the Sabbath to keep it holy. Worship the Godhead. Worship God. This young man worshiped himself and his stuff, his own goodness. And I want to tell you today, this is a term called humanism. And I believe it is the number one religion in America. And I believe it's fostered in many churches that claim to be Christian churches that are actually big old humanism houses. You see, the end of all being... In, in humanism, the, the whole reason you exist is for your own happiness. That's what the humanist thinks. Christianity says the whole reason you're here is for God's glory. No matter what, if it makes you happy or sad, we do what we do to glorify God. There's a big difference between the two. I want you to think about some of the altar calls you may have heard in churches. Come to Jesus. And he's going to fix that bad marriage. Come to Jesus and you're going to get a better job. Come to the Lord. Come to Jesus. He'll heal your body. Come to Jesus and he's going to he's going to make you not depressed anymore. He's going to make you happy. Come to Jesus. You'll find your happiness in Jesus. And all that sounds so great. And it's just humanism. 
Not one of those is reason to come to Jesus. As a matter of fact, let's challenge man's goodness. My Bible says that there's none good, not knowing. As a matter of fact, if you're leaning on any of your own goodness, you want a better one. If one thing good is found in Terrell Abair, let me tell you, it's because Jesus Christ put it there. And so glory to Jesus, because it ain't me. When you finally understand that you are a wicked sinner, when you come to grips with it and terms with it and quit using modern vernacular and modern softening to describe yourself. Oh, yeah, well, I've had some problem with uh you know, um, I, I, I'm not as truthful as should be. Uh, maybe, you know, maybe I misspeak a lot. Isn't that what they'd say now? It, he misspoke. They used to call it lying. Now, he misspoke. Uh, I misspoke. You used to call him drunkards. You know, he has a disease, a crippling disease. He's an alcoholic and it's a crippling disease. Hmm. Amazing. God will send you to hell for a crippling disease. I didn't. I never saw where he's going to send a person to hell for having cancer. Hmm. You see, we've soft shoed everything and we've we've turned everything to where literally there's no more sin anymore. Folks, let me just say this without any apologetics, whatever. Let's just say you are a wicked sinner. You're a monster of iniquity. If we laid you open, you would look like the filthiness of hell itself. That's what you're comprised of. And without a savior, a redemption from the blood of Jesus Christ by faith in that blood, you are a hell bound. No way to escape sinner. The only way you'll ever escape is through God's goodness to you to repent under his grace. Come to Christ, be born again and let Christ live through you. The old man dies and a new creation comes up that lives for Jesus Christ. Other than that. So many people have come to church to tweak their lives, turn over a new leaf, get a new beginning, a fresh start. Yeah, I, I need to put God in my life. Yeah, and, 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 and it's going to be better than folks. God is not interested in your look at this young man ran to Jesus. I'm telling you, most preachers would think we're in revival. We'd never go another verse further. We'd put it in the newsletter. A young, a rich young man ran to Jesus and 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 literally said, what can I do to have eternal life? And we baptized him. And now he's a member. He tithes and he's a good guy. A really good guy. And he's going straight to hell. Jesus said so. You lack something. Your God is your money. Your God is your possessions. There's folks right now. Oh, I ain't rich. Yet you got two vehicles, a nice house, a camp, a boat. You spend all your time at the park, at the ballpark, and you're in sports and athletics, and we play, and we got a bank account full. I'm not rich. What do you call rich? I really don't know what you want to. I mean, do you have to be some mega billionaire to be rich now? No. Let me just say, you're in the upper 20% of humanity in America. You're rich. You could live totally on government assistance and you're still rich in America. That's the truth. So don't dismiss yourself and just pat your, 
good old boy self on the back. Think about it. Many, many are going to go this route. Keep reading. Watch what he says. Then look, it says he was sad at that word, went away sorrowful for he had great possessions. He is sorrier that Jesus taught him anything. We just want some nice, empty promise that promises us heaven in the future while we live our best life now. And we couldn't care. It, one word of Jesus saying obey and we just, what is that? This is a free gospel. We want Jesus to give it all and we give nothing. I talked to a man one time and I asked him, I said, hey, are you married? He said, no, but my wife is. I believe that's a, the, the description of most Christianity today. God's in covenant with us, but we're not in covenant with him. We, he has married a whole nation of adulterers and idolaters that are in adultery with the world. You remember the adulterous woman in Proverbs was the world and the wisdom of this world. And that's what's happened. We've blended the wisdom of God with the wisdom of the world. And we literally are, we're just like in the days of Noah. The sons of God saw the daughters of men and we make mixed marriages and create hybrid giants. We're first and we're big and we're great and we're chief and we're the number one. But we're all going to hell. Keep reading. Now, here's the teaching that comes behind that. Jesus looked around and said to his disciple, how hard is it for those who have riches to enter the kingdom of God? And the disciples were astonished at his words. But Jesus answered again and said to them, children, how hard it is for those who trust in riches to enter the kingdom of God. It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. And they were greatly astonished, saying among themselves, who then can be saved? Now, again, you're talking about 12 little good Jewish boys who understood the Old Testament and the blessings of obedience and prosperity and earthly longevity and heirs of the promise. They understood all this. Okay, and they were trying to understand what this Messiah, the prophet is saying. Like, What are you saying now? And he said, it ain't easy. If you got earthly wealth to enter the kingdom. And he said, and so we, we think of the eye of a needle and we're thinking, it ain't, it, no. The eye of the needle, that little, that little tunnel uh, in the wall entering the, any city back in those days, the gates were closed at sundown. And basically, if a, someone wanted to enter the city after hours, they would have to unladen their camel. The camel would go kneeling down. Would have to, the camel would have to know the trick and go through the eye of the needle. That is the eye of the needle and bring their goods in. So no invading army could just blow in through the gates. So that basically it's easier for a camel. Think about it. Unburdening that camel, unload the whole deal, bring the camel through, then go get one thing at a time, bring it through. You got to bring it all through that eye of the needle. And here we go. We're... Now we made it in the city for the night. And you see, there's not many folks who are willing to unladen and unburden and go through the eye of the needle to drop the burden. We want our possessions. Well, then who then can be saved? I think about it. Every person listening to Jesus at that point believed the law. 
And they believed in the earthly longevity the law promised that we should have our name furthered in the earth. Every one of them believed that, that if we obey God, he would bless us and he would give us money and our cows would multiply our goats, our herds, our crops would come in. Our wives would have children. We would be healthy. There'd be no disease. These were all the Old Testament good promises. And they all believed him. And now all of a sudden, he's like, to enter the kingdom of God? See, he wasn't inviting people to come enter the nation of Israel. He was inviting you to another place called the kingdom of God. And that kingdom is not here. And the only presence of that kingdom here is the person of the Holy Spirit residing in us, sealing us with that promise of the, of the kingdom. The kingdom come, let the Holy Spirit, let the, let the, <clears throat> the king of the kingdom rule my heart. Jesus rule my heart and the spirit of God fill my life and live the life of Christ. Give me the grace to empower me to live the way God would have me live. Let me look like Jesus, walk like Jesus, talk like Jesus. When you come back, Jesus, I hope they all mistake me for you. I want to be like you. And the Holy Ghost wants you to be. Like you. you see, he's inviting us into the kingdom of God. And you see, the kingdom of God is a futuristic promise saying eternal life. Now, we can begin that in a sense here. Right now, we begin to enjoy salvation. Right now, we enjoy uh, the, the, the deliverance from evil. Right now, we, we enjoy a forgiveness from God and the presence of God living inside of us, residing wonderful, wonderful fruits of the kingdom come this is all beautiful, but let me tell you, folks, one day Jesus is going to raise us from the dead or change our bodies and take us up and we will enter physically into that kingdom. Oh, glory be to God. Come quickly, Lord Jesus. I hear there's streets of gold. I hear there's no pain, no crying, no tears. I believe there's no hardship. I want to tell you there'll be no lies there. Oh, glory. Huh? No drag queens, no presidents and politicians. Hallelujah. No news media. <laughs> Glory to God. Hmm. Joy unspeakable looking right at the one who redeemed our lives. Come on. 24 seven. Glory be to God. A new heaven and a new earth. Uh, God. He made this world and earth in seven days, in six days and rested on the seventh. Two thousand years ago, he said, I go to prepare a place for you. I can't even imagine. Two thousand years of God working day and night to get it ready for me and you. Come on. Imagine, only imagine is an understatement. I, 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 I try never to imagine it because I know I would never do it well. Just, I can't wait to get there. Keep reading. How hard is it for those who trust in riches to enter the kingdom of God? It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom. And they were greatly astonished, saying among themselves, who then can be saved? Now, what's amazing to me, uh, I watched the transition some years back when the prosperity message began to rule and reign in America. And boy, it took root. And man, I want to tell you folks through in, uh, basically come to Jesus and you're going to be rich. 
name it and claim it and blab it and grab it. And boy, you just say it and it's coming to you and you're going to get that. And what, what it all, when it all shook out, the only people that really got rich were sitting on the top of the pyramid. Mm-hmm. And they took all your money. And what's amazing, they still give these guys money. That's what blows my mind. If it were up to me, there wouldn't be one TV preacher that could afford a spot because I wouldn't give them a nickel, not a nickel ever. I never have, never would. Jesus looked at them and said, with men, it is impossible. But not with God, for with God, all things are possible. And Peter began to say to him, see, we have left all and followed you. Jesus answered and said, Assuredly, I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sister or father or mother or wife or children or lands for my sake and the gospels who shall not receive a hundredfold now in this time houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions. Now, what's amazing, the modern prosperity gospel took that phrase. If you're being persecuted, you just don't have no faith. What? I, I think my Bible says that all who live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. Let me just tell you. I'll guarantee you there's a hundred houses I could go to right now and they would take me in. I guarantee it. Hey, I'm in a hardship. I need I need a place to stay. I guarantee you there's that. I guarantee you there's a hundred places I can go to and get a meal anytime I needed one. I guarantee it. But I'll tell you another thing. We've left a lot behind to do that. We've built relationship, kingdom relationships over 40 years. And they, they're lasting relationships. They're godly friendship. I've never abused that, but it's there. The Apostle Paul had a wonderful outlook on riches. He said, as possessing all things, yet owning nothing. He didn't claim to own a thing. But what he had in his possession was useful for the. And that's how I look at life. It, these are tools for God. I don't own a thing. You think about ownership. Just really think about that. Well, I own a car. Yeah, talk to me in 10 years. <laughs> that car's going to go away. Well, I own my own house. Mm-hmm. Talk to those who, uh, what, what, what is the term they use when they want to uh, take your house from you? <laughs> no, 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 no. When, when they say, you know, it's for the greater good, uh, they call it um, an eminent domain. Eminent domain. Huh? <laughs> domain, man, your deal got to go. Well, wait, I own it. No, nope, not anymore. It's for the greater good. Well, what about my, we, we don't go, we give you 10 cents on the dollar. Get out. <laughs> Hallelujah. With persecutions and in the age to come eternal life, but many who were first will be last and the last will be first. So many right now are striving. I mean striving positionally to be number one, to get I don't know when this striving would end. I mean, think about it. 
How many Christian lives were put on hold? Well, when I pay my house off, I'm going to be a missionary or I'm going to begin to give my money to the to the to the missions or uh, uh, when I when I get this car paid off, when I get that boat paid, when I get that camp, it will never when I get the children out of college, when I it will never end. If you're not doing it now, you're not going to do it. Period. There will ne- that day will never come and the enemy will make sure it never comes. There will always be something else. My Bible says, seek first the kingdom of God and all these things will be added to you. Now, there's a danger in going at that verse to say, well, I'm going to go for that. I'm going to give him everything so I can get. Bro, that that motive will be found out before you can get out of the starting blocks good. Because God will test it and he'll put it to the test. I remember when my wife and I were early in our Christian walk and God was really. I, I was really putting it on us. The convictions were in our heart that we wanted to serve the Lord at all times. I mean, that's all we wanted to do. And. Look, we we started. We, first off, we left both of our careers. I was a heavy equipment operator. She was a school teacher. We left our careers and. You know, there's some transition times. I don't want to say we just broke that cord real easily at right off the bat, but we it was a transition, but we did get out of them. And uh, I remember we were youth pastors for the for about eight years. And when I tell you we didn't have no money, that could be an understatement. We ain't had no money. It just wasn't none. But it was some of the greatest times. Me and my first pastor, we had a $10 bill one time. And he get if I was going somewhere, he'd give me the $10 bill. And then I come back, I'd give it back. Here's the 10. And if he went somewhere, I'd give, you know, we just trade. He said, if one of us ever spends that $10, we're going to be out of a good living. I said, yes. Yeah. So, so we would never spend the $10. I don't know how we got around. It's just God. It was amazing. Folks, whenever you seek first the kingdom, when you really put kingdom business first, and it'll be trying times. It tests you. And I can't recall, I mean, 40 years, I've had people coming to, would you support my ministry? Would you fund? We're going to start a new church. We want you to help us. I said, man, I ain't helping you nothing. If you're, if God's calling you to it, he's going to, he's going to take care of you. Now we've helped a lot of people in a lot of things, but folks, let me tell you something else. There's a lot of folks who ain't budging until some money's coming in. And I believe that'll go on trial right off the bat. If I ain't getting money, I ain't doing that. Folks ask me, when you gonna retire? I ain't never. When I, I'll tell you when I want to retire. When they, when that, when they close that coffin down on me, I'll retire. And and if I get half a chance, I'll keep speaking while they're shutting the lid. Hmm. Hmm. You know, when Aaron they took his priestly robe off and he died. So if I quit preaching, I'm going to be a dead guy. So I'm not. I'm just going to keep on preaching. I don't mind. I look, look, if I thought I could go see Jesus right now, but I also know if I quit preaching, I may not see Jesus. So catch 22. I'm go at it, boys. Folks, many that are first are going to be last. And you put your career first. You put your family first. You put your camp, your boat, your sport, your you. Oh, you've gone for fur. I'm going to do for me because me, I deserve this. What you deserve is hell. 
come to terms with it. Many have justified all of their heaping treasure and pleasure on themselves. And I mean, totally forgetting all the promise of God. You've made yourself number one. And all you want Jesus for is to help you stay on the top. Jesus, help me achieve my destiny that I've dreamed of. And it's all self-promotion. Many are going to say, Lord, Lord. He'll say, depart from me. I never knew you. You worker of iniquity, you lawless one. I tell you, there are some people right now listening to my voice who have fat 401ks and you're a a pauper in the kingdom of God. You have no treasure in heaven. As a matter of fact, you may even be storing, treasuring up wrath for the day of wrath. That may be the only treasure you possess. And you might can show me all your earthly goods. And let me tell you something. You look around and in one day you die. And guess what? Then who's those things going to be for? You brought nothing in, you're taking nothing out. And then you stand before God. Disobeyed every commandment He gave. Folks, There are many people sitting right here right now who are first. You're first in your career. You've made it to your top. You've you've got that. You you. I I laugh. I laugh. There's these little pop up ads come on Facebook all the time. Could you retire with two and a half million dollars? I'm like, idiot. I'd have retired twenty. I'd have retired forty years ago with two and a half million dollars. Two and a half million dollars. What? And you're seventy. How much money you need? What are you fixing to do? Wow. So you're just making us feel guilty for prosperity. Well, maybe you should feel guilty that you've totally abandoned the message of the gospel that says that all of this prosperity was so that we could continue to send the gospel out. And what have we done? Now think about it. Remember the other paradoxical teachings. If you try to save your life, you will lose your life. Unless you hate your life in this earth, uh, you can't inherit eternal life. Look at those teachings. These are hard hitting. If you're first, you'll be last. So we strive to be first and we become last in the kingdom. Think it through, folks. Childlike faith. And we abandon childlikeness and we we, we become really these shrewd uh Rude, crude, clawing for number one, competitive, domineering. We undo every paradoxical teaching of Jesus and boy, we just preach those things away. He didn't really mean that. In the Greek, he meant something else. And no, you know, really, he would never say no, but he loved that young man. And he said, look, young man, if you don't sell out, you're not going to go to hell. That's wise advice. That is loving words. That if you don't sell out, you ain't going to make it. 
Well, I won't say nothing else other than the first will be last and the last will be first. Many are going to see this flip-flop and be appalled. <gasps> What's wrong with you, Jesus? Don't you know I'm number one? He's going to say, you're the first loser in hell. Good night. We are so thankful that you joined us for this teaching today. It's our sincere prayer that many of you would be born again through hearing God's word. If you were blessed by this podcast, we would love to hear from you. For more information on Oikos Ministries, visit us on our website, www.housechurchesusa.com.